Hi, I'm Denise Bailey. And I'm Dr. Monica Parker. And you're listening to My Parents Are Now My Kids, a medical doctor's view and daughter's journey through memory loss and other dementias. As a doctor, I'll help you navigate through the often confusing, confounding, and frequently frustrating technical aspects of dementia. And as a daughter, I'll share with you some things I've experienced caring for and loving my parents who both struggled with these disorders. We want you to have hope and to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And we'll tell you that sometimes that light is coming straight at you and you just have to get out of the way. Let's get started. Hi, Dr. Monica. Hi, Dr. Denise. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy that Christmas is almost here. Me too. Me too. It's a wonderful time of year. So are you ready for Christmas? No. (laughs) Honestly, neither am I. I just got my tree up and... uh, I'll have one. So you've got time. You've got some time. So today, you know, we have been giving out information for the past couple of years and you give great information about, you know, being a physician and how you deal medically with having Alzheimer's. And I do my best to talk about being a caregiver and what it takes to be a caregiver caring for someone with Alzheimer's and dementia. But, you know, we got to thinking, what if you have Alzheimer's or dementia and you live alone? You have to fend for yourself. So I wanted to talk about that today. I actually think, Denise, that that's an excellent topic. It's a very uncomfortable topic, but it's a very good topic. As you are an only child and an only daughter, um, what people really need to think about, whether particularly as it relates to themselves, is Have I had the discussion with myself in terms of have I made alternative plans? And what do I mean by alternative plans? Whether you discuss it with a good friend or an elder care attorney, somebody who's going to be watching out for your best interest in the event that you are incapacitated. That means that all of us should have certain documents in order. And one of those documents is a, uh, I'm going to call it an advanced directive that explains what it is you want done, certainly at the end of life. But even before we get to the end of life, suppose I'm not at the end of life, I'm probably going to live another 20 or 30 years, but I've lost the cognitive or the knowledge base that allows me to live independently. What do I want done? What kind of plan have I made? What long range planning have we done? So one of the things that we advocate very strongly in families that are living with people with dementia is to, number one, designate and get in place a durable power of attorney for health care. Have discussed with a relative, a friend, somebody who's going to protect your interests with what you want done in the event that you can't speak for yourself. So establishing and writing down a durable power of attorney for health care getting that document to the people who need to see that, whether it's, well, people who should get that include your medical doctor, your banker, your lawyer, who will have a copy of that document, 
and whoever you have designated as your next of kin. A durable power for attorney for health care is one thing. But then there's this other document called an advanced directive. In the event that I can't make health care decisions or I can't verbalize what I want for how I want to be cared for in a medical setting, have I put down, yes, uh, if I'm in a medical state where I have no hope of returning to my previous level of function, I want no intervention. Means I don't want people to resuscitate me, to intubate me. Um, I don't want certain kinds of treatment. If I have a cancer that's inoperable, inoperable, and it has spread to my brain, rendering my brain dysfunctional such that I can't make decisions. I no longer want chemotherapy. So advanced directives, along with the durable power of attorney, tell somebody what it is you specifically want. For example, in African-American families, we like funerals. But maybe I'm the relative or the person in my family who doesn't care to have a funeral. I just want to be cremated. That's something that an advanced directive should contain. Not necessarily a durable power of attorney, but an advanced directive. And let me say that I went through that with both my parents. And um, my father was more cooperative than my mother. That's the theme here. But it's very, very important. You have to get those documents in place and especially... If you don't have kids or relatives or siblings, uh, nieces or nephews or grandkids that are going to take care of you, it's so very important to have that, like you said, because that's your, your final wishes and it has to be known. And you, you touched upon, you know, talking to your banker and, and things like that, because if you have Alzheimer's or dementia and you're living alone, you've got to have that relationship with your bank, um, even to the point that if you have bills, you will still have bills to pay. You should set up like automatic payments so that if for some reason you can't remember to pay that light bill or that water bill, that it's automatically coming out of your bank account. You, I would even suggest that Checks, if you get Social Security or pensions, those checks should be direct deposited so that, you know, they won't come to your home that someone who doesn't have your best interest at heart might take that check or or that check might be lost or something like that. So it's very, very important. You bring up a really good point about paying bills. So that's something that has to be done while you're upright and can think clearly. So it wouldn't be a bad idea for somebody who's just retired, for example, from their job to write down, let's say, just give people a baseline. Let's just say I hit 65. Mm -hmm. If you hit 65, you're going to be here another 20 years or so. But get that document in place then. And maybe every couple of years, review those documents to see that that's what you want. And the way that we can do that is to get in touch with, let's say, an elder care attorney who can draw up and create those documents for you and get those documents put in place. Different people use different 
devices or authorities, but you can even make a will and a durable power of attorney online, but you want to put it somewhere where people can access it. You want to make sure people understand what it is you want. So for those of us who live alone, who would be the person you would designate to make decisions for you or to act on your behalf, not only for your health care, but also in terms of managing your finances and making sure that your banker is aware of who that person is, is important. And those are the people who really need to see things. And when you say automate your bills, automate, um, you know, your payments and make sure you have direct deposits, Those are things that older adults should be doing anyway for all the reasons that you stated. You don't want, uh, I know that we just finished this real contentious election, but there was a lot of question about the safety of mail and mail delays. And so if you have a check, an income check that's walking around somewhere in the U.S. postal system and you missed getting your check, No, that delays everything else that goes along with you. So certainly federal checks and retirement checks should be in a position, should be deposited in such a way that there's no human hand that touches it. Absolutely. That's great advice. And let's talk about just the day-to-day existence of a person who may have Alzheimer's or dementia and live alone. They should just plan ahead They need to plan ahead for just basic needs. I mean, things like food. You can get someone to help you plan ahead. I think you should get someone to help you plan ahead. You may live alone, but you have friends or relatives that can help you plan. You need to set up maybe meals being delivered. If you can no longer cook, you need to set up housekeeping for someone to come in periodically and help you keep your house clean. You need to have someone that can check on you. And that's a very good point. So in addition to documents, one of the things we stress in caregiving is what is your village? Who's a part of your village? And so when we talk about what our caregiving village is, it may be the neighbor who watches from a distance It may be the beautician who does our hair, who's used to seeing us on a regular basis. It may be our pastor or choir director, anybody with whom you have um, a regular connection and relationship with. Those are part of your village and the people in that village need to be aware of what your wishes are. Because I can tell you as a clinician, It's usually not the patient and usually not the patient's family that calls me. It's the next door neighbor or the churchgoer who says, I know you're Mrs. Brown's doctor, but I think there's some things you need to know. This is what's happening and that's what's happening. And she needs to come and see you. And I'm like, that's nice to tell me that, but somebody needs to see to it that she gets to my office. And Usually those well-meaning relatives or usually friends who are looking at people don't necessarily know how to get in touch with people's families. And a lot of times when people are looking at that, they will call the doctor and say, I saw Mrs. Brown wandering down the street. Something should be done. So I may have 
Mrs. Brown's daughter's telephone number or son's number, and I can call them and let them know that the neighbors are reporting unusual behaviors. But in caregiving, we like families or people to basically identify your village. In a family, we might have a family village, but if for somebody who's living alone, it's likely that, that there is no family village. Right. It's going to be non-relatives who are helping you make decisions and helping you navigate your way. And I think uh, you mentioned neighbors and church members. If you have a neighbor that you trust, hopefully you do, leave an extra set of keys with that person and have that person's information given to someone else that you trust. Because if for some reason you're unable to be reached, someone knows that something is out of the ordinary. So it's always great to have that person, that village that you mentioned. And also for something as simple as you're in the home by yourself, you may not be as fluid and obviously mentally um, alert as you once were. Simple things like um, uncluttering your surroundings to prevent falling, uh, taking up bugs, because that, that's what I had to do for my mom. I'm trying to move things out of the way. You know, she, I, she wanted her like a rug at one point, I think in her room, cause it, the, she had hardwood floors and it was cold. But I remember one stay that my father had in the hospital and they came back and they were like, move rugs because it's a tripping um, mechanism. You're talking about everyday sorts of things that people need to be aware of right now. Um, One of those things, in addition to like rugs and things like that, all of us should be aware of clutter. Okay. Hoarding is a sign of brain dysfunction, but clutter, everyday clutter accumulating and getting rid of piles of newspapers and piles of magazines just so that somebody can get in your house and get to see you. Um, I've had some patients whose primary familial complaint was they had too much junk in the house. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. like, what do you mean they have too much junk in the house? Like they're collecting food trays. They're collecting uh, plastic water bottles and they won't take them to the recycle. They're just piling up in the basement or they're piling up in the garage. So one of the things that might be helpful is as we go along, we all need to declutter a little bit. I think that for our friends and people in our village who start to see this, quite honestly, that's a sign and symptom that things are awry in terms of somebody's cognitive function. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, declutter keep it safe, keep your surroundings safe. And, you know, also take advantage of organizations like maybe the Alzheimer's Association that may have hotlines that you can call if you, you know, at home by yourself and you just need someone to talk to. They have a hotline that you you can call. Um, Things like that. Get to know about organizations in your community. I know we're in the middle still of this pandemic here in the United States, and you can't go to, you know, daycare facilities like you used to, but hopefully and prayerfully, we will be able to get back to that. So take advantage of things June. like that. <laughs> what did you say? I said June. Yeah. Maybe yeah. August. I know. I'm trying to be hopeful. 
<laughs> but when we get back to a state of normalcy, take advantage of organizations like that. Because if you're living alone, that's isolation that can, that, that's bad for anyone. Certainly exacerbates somebody who might be at risk for developing dementia. So having and establishing social networks and maintaining them all through our lives, certainly our mid to late middle age. And I'm happy to say that middle age is still, we say geriatrics begins at 65, but I'm like, mm, that's probably mid middle age. <laughs> <laughs> I like to, I will claim mid, that middle as middle age. age. I will claim <laughs> that as middle age. I am hanging on to middle age. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there are certain things I think that this pandemic has forced some of us to do and I don't have cognitive impairment, but that's a risk factor in my, that's a risk in my family. I'm just very conscious of how much stuff do I have to move? How much stuff is around here? How much can we get rid of? So I think aside from, you know, making our life occupationally or not occupationally, but our environment socially acceptable to those of us as we age, you know, instead of round doorknobs, using levers and things like that, things that we need to do to help support ourselves as we age in general is something we need to do. And somebody who can help you with modifying your house or putting things in to help people age healthfully is an occupational therapist who can come walk through your house and tell you what sorts of things you need. But the person we're talking about is the person living with dementia who doesn't necessarily know that he or she has dementia. And I think that maintaining a social network is very important. And while you are as cognitively aware as you think you are, you need to put certain written documents in place, particularly the durable power of attorney for healthcare, an advanced directive that tells what kinds of things you want in the events of uh, changes in your overall health. And more importantly, what kinds of things do you want to continue? Those are very basic things, not a will to distribute your pearls, but, <laughs> you know, a will, if you will, that tells people how you want things done or how you'd like things to proceed for yourself. But again, most people who are living alone with dementia don't just generally recognize that they have it. It is their friends, their village of friends and family who notice the changes and have to be put in a position to assist that individual. So maintain your villages, social or familial. Okay, that is uh, great advice. So those friends and family out there who may suspect someone who has dementia or Alzheimer's in your circle, look out for them and help them navigate living alone if they do. Thank you, Dr. Monica. That was some great information. Thank you, daughter Denise. <laughs> See you next time.